Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Having things inside our bodies requires really complicated and tiny machines. Now, biologically speaking, our cells are doing incredible things with machines like pumps and motors working all the time, and they all do so incredibly efficiently. So what can we learn from that? And how can we make sure the devices like pacemakers that we put into our bodies stay working efficiently for longer and don't require complicated surgery to get them out? Now we often talk a lot about nanotechnology or biomedical machines, and we imagine somehow converting an object that we're very familiar with, let's say a motor, an engine, a propeller, and turning and shrinking that down somehow into some incredibly tiny form. And it requires substantial thought and complex engineering to envisage what that might look like and how that might work. But nature's been doing this kind of thing for millennia. In fact, lots of different parts of our bodies and our cells and the cells of bacteria all around us use tiny motors and pump mechanisms to convert one form of energy into another. Just like on our large scale, we have large machines to help convert energy from one form into another, to help get us from point A to point B, or maybe to cool us down or to pump water. All these kinds of different things rely on pumps and motors and machines. And Biologically speaking, there's actually a lot of those happening on a really small molecular scale and performing some pretty incredible functions when you step back and look at it. But to understand how these things work, when they're so small, you actually have to figure out a way to first observe them. And a new study published in the Journal of Biological Chemistry outlines some great work from the National Institutes of Natural Sciences in Japan by lead author Ryota Ino. And they're investigating how exactly some molecular motors have such incredible efficiency and work compared to, well, a human motor. And the goal here is to understand this mechanism of conversion of energy from one type to another. Because these researchers are actually really, really interested in one specific advancement. And that is the way in which electrical energy can be produced naturally in the body. Now that might seem like a crazy idea, but after all, electric eels do this. They can produce naturally electrical energy. And chemical-wise, it's actually not that difficult, but figuring out a way to do that in an efficient manner with some molecular technology is quite difficult. And biological researchers are immensely interested in this because if we could find a way to produce some device that produces its own electricity out of the resources readily around it, then you would use that to help power all kinds of biomedical devices without relying on batteries. It means you could have some great monitoring or maybe some preventative treatments delivered straight at the source that needs them without having to have invasive surgery and complicated parts that need regular maintenance and replacement. We could rely on biological mechanisms instead. At least that's this goal of the researchers from the National Institute of Natural Sciences and Molecular Science Group, because they're trying to really figure out a way to get that to work. But first, they need to understand how one form of energy conversion works at the moment, and that is a motor, because bacteria are able to have these little functioning rotational motors, and these motors are part of a much larger pump complex. So the motor is spinning, together with another piece of molecular motor to form a rotary pump. And the rotary pump actually moves sodium ions across a membrane. 
and this is part of a regular healthy cellular process. But the efficiency of this conversion is incredibly powerful. It is much more efficient than even like an actual standard full-size pump. So how exactly on a molecular level are our cells able to produce such a highly efficient piece of what we would consider high technology? So in order to understand the mechanism, the researchers first need to lay eyes on it, or rather to try and figure out a way to observe it. And as we're talking about single molecules here in a cellular process inside cells, then it, it's quite difficult to figure out a way to visualize that. So what the researchers used was a gold nanoparticle probe to directly observe single molecules pulled from a purified bacteria called Enterococcus hiri. Now, normally that bacteria causes sepsis in humans, but they've sort of cleaned it out and they're just observing inside this bacteria a certain type of process inside the cell. Now, by imaging a single molecule at incredibly high resolution, the researchers could basically take photos over time. So if you imagine putting your camera on burst mode or breaking the rotation of the spinning of something in the air into frame by frame views, that's what they're effectively able to achieve of this single molecule to see how it behaved over time and how this molecular motor rotated for different sections. And actually what they found is that the motor rotated for different sections which enabled different inputs to interact. Now their analogy is much like a well pump. So with a well pump, basically, it's a hand crank that a human has to turn. That rotary mechanism of turning helps lift water up from the bottom of the well all the way up to the top to be tipped out. And in that process, the human is putting in energy at the start of the pump to transport something to get it out. Well, that's exactly what this molecular pump is doing. It takes some energy input to turn the crank effectively, which is helping to transport these sodium ions from one place to another. So to first understand that, they actually also need to understand how the energy gets to this pump in the first place. How the chemical energy around this molecule is converted into mechanical rotation inside what they call the V1 motor. And what there is actually around that V1 motor is quite a large three-dimensional structure. Now, this kind of structure is typical for a variety of other mechanical biological motors. But what they found on this one is actually it's developed its own structure, which has certain on-tapping points for different chemicals, which suggests that each cell sort of develops their own structure around this motor to help them work, depending on their current environment or what they're trying to convert from. And this motor doesn't actually work on its own. It actually works together with another motor, the VO motor. So the motor complex is these two motors working together and they use chemical energy from the cell, the resources around the cell, to mechanically rotate and spin. So they convert that energy then into electrochemical potential because that spinning is then used to pump sodium ions, which then also transport energy resources to another part of the cell much in the same way that a human uses energy we gain from food to power our muscles to turn the pump which pulls water. They're doing a similar process, taking chemical energy to spin a pump which transports sodium which is used to power the parts of the cell and the chemical processes. So they're turning chemical energy into rotational energy, again into chemical transport. And this is pretty exciting because the actual transport of ions is also important to understand how electron flow can happen and how we can develop batteries. So all of these mechanisms and process are incredibly complicated. They're happening on a molecular level inside cells all the time. 
And to really get a detailed understanding of it, we have to really stop, think, and figure out how to image all of these structures, and then try and piece together how they work. Because like with many things, we can take inspiration from nature. And this may help us one day build our own better, more efficient medical devices for use in all kinds of things. So there's some great work from the National Institute of Natural Sciences, led by lead author Rio Tuino, Journal of Biological Chemistry. Now pacemakers are pretty incredible devices. The way a pacemaker works is it helps keep your heart beating correctly by introducing small little electric shocks. This can help in a number of ways by keeping the heart's pulses and beats in the right rate or rhythm. And this normally is used to treat people with certain types of arrhythmias. And arrhythmias is basically means any type of heartbeat or pattern that doesn't really make sense. This could be due to a medical condition or a genetic condition, a number of different things. But pacemakers are basically a life-saving devices for those for people with heart conditions. But the problem is, is as they have to generate an electrical impulse and pump it onto your heart, they actually need to have a battery. And until we're able to have devices that generate electricity for themselves, we need to have that battery replaced roughly every five years or so. The problem is that when surgeons go in to replace the pacemaker, it's actually quite a complicated procedure. Of course, it's open heart surgery. They have to go in there and detach this pacemaker from its attachment point to the heart. The problem is that when you put in any sort of medical device, it doesn't just sit there on its own. Your body starts to incorporate it into itself. After all, it's been in there for at least five years. And this is actually what you want. You don't want your body to reject the device because if it does that, well, what will you end up with is actually serious, serious issues where your body's immune system starts to reject the transplanted organ, or in this case, the medical device. And that's a huge problem. But if it starts to build it in too much, then when you need to cut it out to take out the old and put in the new one, it's also incredibly difficult. The more cuts you have to make, the more tissue, the fabric tissue that you have to cut away, well, that makes it more likely that you might get some stress induced on the heart, but also potentially lead to more complications and infections. So scientists have been looking for a way to not so much stop your heart from getting attached, too attached at least, to the pacemaker, but reducing the buildup of this fibrotic tissue, specifically around the pacemaker. And that's what researchers at ETH University in Zurich have published in their journal Biomaterials. Now, research is led by Aldo Ferrari, as well as Francesco Robotti, have been trying to develop a way to prevent the pacemaker from getting too attached to the heart. So they've spent a few years developing a membrane, and this membrane they want to put around the pacemaker. It has a special surface structure that makes it less conductive to growth of fabric tissue. So normally, the smooth metal of a pacemaker is perfect breeding ground for the fabric tissue to grow along the pacemaker. So by replacing it with this membrane structure, well, it makes it less likely to get grown on. 
Now, this membrane is a patented technology, and researchers from all over Switzerland, including some places in Germany as well, have now been using it to get it market ready to be used with patients. So as part of this process, they obviously had to put it in to some trial testing points, which we use pig trials for, and then leave it alone for a while and see if it actually got too attached to the hearts. And what they found out of these trials is pretty exciting. So after a one-year test period of putting in the pacemaker with this special membrane coating, what they found is that not only did the pig's bodies tolerate the membrane more than they do the, the smooth steel, they actually didn't reject it and they liked it more, they didn't fight it as much, which is incredibly important for any type of transplant or medical device work. But even more importantly, the membrane did what it was supposed to do. The robotic tissue that formed around it and held the pacemaker in place was on average about a third as thick as the tissue that formed on the normal stainless steel coated pacemakers. And that was only after a one year trial, which is some pretty good results. Now, the reason why they think this is the case is because the membrane is made out of a fiber, cellulose fiber. And when the fibrotic tissue forms around it, the first thing it does is try to deposit some proteins on the surface. By having a fibrous membrane, it means that the proteins don't have a smooth place to sort of drop themselves into and build up. On a piece of metal, on the other hand, they do. Another key factor is that the researchers created the membrane with specifically designed honeycomb-like indentations on the surface. These small honeycomb indentations are very, very small. In fact, they're around 10 micrometers in diameter. But these indentations make it difficult for the cells that form fibrotic tissue to adhere to the surface. Think about it another way. It's a really, really bumpy surface, not a smooth one. And like trying to stack or attach something to it, it makes it much, much harder because, well, there's no real clear solid staple building point as there is if it's a flat, smooth piece of steel. So both the fact that it's got cellulose fiber in this membrane and the fact that it's all in this hexagonal dimpling shape mean that it's actually quite difficult for the product tissue to attach compared to traditional methods. Now this sort of one-two punch is what gives it its pretty successful track record of cutting down on the growth of this tissue around the heart. So now that animal trials have been successful, they have to proceed to clinical trials in humans, which of course will take place over the next year. But this is a pretty exciting development for all of those who have pacemakers or know someone that does, because it means less complications when the surgery for replacement of pacemakers come along. So this is some great work out of ETH in Zurich, published in the journal Biomaterials. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. From making sure pacemakers don't get overgrown, and to finding ways to help harness the molecular engines and pumps inside our bodies. This week we focused on big and small machines inside our bodies. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.